Hey church, uh, hope you're well, hope your families are well. Um, just wanted to let you know that Anna and I are praying for you guys. We miss you guys terribly and we can't wait to um, get back to live services again, which we, we're hoping isn't too far away, but we will let you know as soon as we know uh, what the plan is for us moving forward. Um, and as we, we keep saying, you know, the goalposts get moved all the time and when we start to plan something and then restrictions change in, in, in a heartbeat. So um, we know that this format of church is not ideal um, and we desperately want to get back into uh, you know in-person services with you as soon as possible, but uh, we will let you know um, as soon as we can. Um, but we hope you're enjoying today's second edition of At Home Church, where we get as many people as we can to uh, record something to contribute to this service at their home, wherever they might be, uh, so we can just have a more... Uh, organic form of church and get insight into what where people are what, what's happening for them so here i am at my home recording this message for you and so this is our next edition in our series on romans we are now up to chapter seven and uh, so if you missed out on uh, the message for chapter six which was two weeks ago I would encourage you to go back and listen to that because that is uh, honestly one of the most powerful messages that we all need to understand. And not because I'm the world's best communicator, not at all. Um, that's what the content of Romans 6 is, is so vital for us to get a revelation on um, because it transforms us to see ourselves as the Bible would describe us to be. And we looked at this concept of the new you is the true you. That, that we are no longer slaves of sin, that, that the Bible would call us to be slaves of righteousness, which would result in holiness. And so we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. And Paul looked at in chapter 6, well, um, should we then continue to sin stacks? Because the more we sin, the more God's grace can be poured out on us. And he's like, no, that is, that's absurd. That is ridiculous. That's like biting the hand that feeds you. Um, and so we looked at them. We need to then remind ourselves that the old us has been put to death like Christ was put to death and that we've been raised to brand new life just like Christ was raised to new life again. And again, that's just a beautiful picture that we see in the sacrament of baptism that that we symbolically uh, have been uh, buried and died to our old nature, our own sinful nature, raised to a brand new life where we get to live for Christ, And so as we go through chapter 7, um, Paul will highlight things that we, we read in chapter 6 again, bring a couple of new thoughts in. And, um, and, and so what I wanted to, to really start with is, is in chapter 7 verse 4 is this, this concept he brings up again about this um, death, burial and resurrection with Christ. And he says, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to one another. To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So that's the whole point, right? Is that the new you is the true you. And the, the new you, the true you is designed to uh, bear fruit for God. This is this concept we've talked about since the very beginning of this series, which is sole deo gloria, to God be the glory alone. That, that your life and my life um, having been raised with Christ, given a brand new start in life with the old sinful nature has been washed away and we've been made brand new in Christ, that this new life is meant to bear fruit for God, that God would look down and smile upon our life because we are, uh, what Romans 6 would say, slaves to righteousness. 
where we would live according to God's holy standard, not according to the standards of this world, not according to the standards of our own desires, our own pleasure, uh, but according to God's standard, which we find in his word, uh, for us to live our life that we would bear fruit. And I think for me, I've got to remind myself, if I'm not bearing fruit, well, I've got to go back to my identity, back to who I am. Um, And maybe I've allowed my old self to inform current decisions. Maybe I've allowed my old self to uh, to be selfish in decisions that I'm making or ways that I'm thinking or, or, or things that I'm doing. And I've got to help remind myself, you know what, Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, the, the new me, and this life I, I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so so that, that then realigns me to go, hold on, I'm a new creation, and this new creation is meant to be um, submitted to Christ, a slave to righteousness, and that I would bear fruit of the Spirit that would give glory to God. So jumping down now to verse 6 is, is we see this concept again of the new you is the true you. Because it says, uh, by now, by dying to what once bound us, which was sin, um, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit. This is the new you. This is how we are meant to live our life according to the newness of life that Christ has raised us to um, and not in the old way of the written code. And so essentially what that is saying is that we are no longer under the old covenant, no longer under the old law, uh, but we are under the, the new uh, spirit that, of life that God has for us. Now, that doesn't mean that the law is bad because we're going to see in uh, verse 7 how it talks about um, that the law actually wasn't bad. The law was good because it highlighted what uh, the standards were, what was sin, what, how we ought to live our life, what things to avoid. So the law was good in pointing out what sin was, but we no longer live under that written code. We live under the Spirit of God, uh, which now has given us brand new life to, to help us um, be slaves to righteousness and live according to how the new covenant would describe a, a, a Jesus-following disciple to live. And then... What I love is in chapter 7 is we get a really um, clear and raw insight into the heart of the Apostle Paul. And we can, we can see you know, people like Paul and the disciples and some of the prophets um, through this filtered lens of that these guys were these super apostles, these super Christians that um, were, were so much better than than the mere mortal human beings on this planet. And it's almost like if if they were on Instagram, we put all these filters on them to make sure that they look perfect and better than what they really are. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't put these beautiful, glossy filters on these men and women of faith in the Bible. They, The Bible describes them in a really raw, exactly as it was sort of state. And so Paul here is so... Um, not not self-deprecating, but so honest about his struggle, and I find I find comfort in that because, you know, if I look at someone like the Apostle Paul, who was an incredible man of faith, an incredible man of theology, an incredible man of God, an incredible church planter, an incredible church leader, um, 
encourager, all those sorts of things. I can see him as this super Christian, um, but he draws my attention to the fact that, you know what, he struggles with the same things that I struggle with. He probably struggles with the same things you struggle with. And then if we can find commonality in our humanity, and we can see that he then points us to uh, faith in Jesus and trust in him despite our weaknesses. And that's why he encourages us later in the New Testament that it's in our weakness that God's strength is made perfect. Um, because Paul knows that his flesh is weak, but God's spirit in him is what makes him strong. And so we see this, like he, he just gives us this really vivid snapshot. Verse 14 to 25 is like um, the wrestle between his spirit and, and his flesh and, and, and how he finds that a, a real challenge in his life. And then in verse um, 15, he says, I don't understand what I do. Right? He's like, I just, I don't get it. Like, um, he says, because what happens is, for what I want to do, I don't do, but what I hate, I actually do. And it's like, there's this wrestle. It's like, I know the right thing to do, but I keep doing wrong things, and I hate the things that I do because I know it's what I should do. And if we're honest, we find ourselves in that situation as well, right? Like, we're, we're not dissimilar to the Apostle Paul, where we are perfect in word and deed. That if we're really honest, all of us, to some degree and at some level, are hypocrites. That we would believe the standard that we need to live at, but we don't actually live at that standard 24-7. And so that, that difference would be hypocrisy, where we say one thing or believe one thing, but live our life in a completely other way. And I think it's freeing for us to um, not... Not just acknowledge that gap so that we can excuse it and go, well, I'm a hypocrite, you know, whatever I'm saying by grace. <laughs> um, because Paul would say in chapter 6, uh, what should we say? Then? Should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Um, absolutely not. Certainly not. Um, we need to acknowledge that there is a, a discrepancy, a disparity between what we might profess and how we might live. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't aim for that higher standard, that we shouldn't aim to live our life where God gets the glory, live our life so that we are bearing fruit that others might be able to eat and consume of and taste in and see that the Lord is good. And so we, we, we are in this battle, just like Paul, of wrestling our spirit and our flesh, um, you know, being transformed by renewing our mind as to who we are in Christ and, and, and putting to death almost daily the old self that tries to resurrect itself from the grave and snaps at our heels and tries to inform our decisions and tries to um, manipulate our behaviors. We've got to remind ourselves, you know what, I, I've been crucified with Christ. Um, I, I've been buried with him and I've been raised to new life with him and this life I now live this new me is the true me and, and I, I need to be a slave to righteousness I need to live a life of holiness and I get that there's this wrestle but the wrestle is actually oftentimes won and lost in our mind where we have to um, renew daily by reading God's word being in prayer being in worship so that we can realign and recalibrate ourselves to who God says we are so that we can live from that place. And, and I just love that Paul battles with this just like we battle with this. And he gives us um, a bit of a remedy for this uh, down the bottom um, in verse 25 at the end of this chapter. He says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this got me thinking, um, and I mentioned a little bit of this in last week's uh, message, 
it, it comes back to perspective. And this is something that God has really been speaking um, a lot to me about in my heart and in my life is this thing of perspective. And, and that is the bigger God is, the smaller everything else is. And inversely, the same is true. The, the bigger everything else is, the smaller God becomes. And so when we get a correct perspective, it really helps us navigate life well. And I think about this in so many different areas. I think like if we're talking current topics, if we look at uh, the coronavirus, for example, and if, if, if God is big in our view, then this issue becomes smaller and we don't have to be so panicked or worried by it that we can just put our trust and faith in him. Um, I think about um, just recently. I've been um, talking to a guy, not a, not a Christian guy, who I bump into from time to time. And he's always on me about, have you looked up this conspiracy theory online? Have you looked up this online, this online? All, all this stuff, which uh, it's just this rabbit warren of conspiracy theories that honestly, he, he talks to me about it and does my head in just listening to him. And he's constantly just going, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. And, and he's like, you're a Christian. You, you should be teaching your people about this sort of stuff because this is all said in the Bible, rah, rah, rah. And I've just sort of gone along with it to a point. And then the other day I just said, hey, look, bro, because he's like, are you, have you watched it? Have you looked at this stuff yet? Have you, I'm like, no, I, I'm not going to look it up because I don't believe in those sorts of things. And, um, and honestly, it's just like they do my head in. So I, I appreciate that you're into it, but I'm, I'm not going to do it. And he was a little bit taken aback by that. And he was like, well, you know, you, you should do something about it because this, this talks about this in the Bible. I'm like, well, look, that's the whole point is all my faith is in the Bible and not just the Bible, but the God of the Bible. My faith is not in the opinions of man or the, the theories of man or conspiracy theories of man that might try to undermine me or put fear in me against God's word because I kind of figure the bigger conspiracy theories are, the more fear that rises in me and the smaller God becomes. So I have to work in the opposite spirit and the bigger I see God and the bigger I see the truth of his word, then the smaller I see these theories as weighing heavily on my heart or creating fear in my mind. And so I just have to have a bigger perspective of God. And um, it's the same with, like, with, with love, with forgiveness. The bigger we have a perspective on love, the bigger we have a perspective on forgiveness, then the smaller um, the issues of hate become in our life or the issues of unforgiveness become that we can truly forgive people. When we have a, a bigger picture of who God is and what God has done, then, then those little things of forgiving somebody else or loving somebody else becomes far easier because the issues that we see as big actually become small when we see God as bigger. And it's the same with church. Um, you know, I, I think we, we can see, ha have a view of how we think church should be. A church should be this, and it should do this, and it should look like this, and, and it should do these things. And if, if we have a very limited view of church, then when things don't happen the way we want them to happen, those issues or those um, discrepancies between our ideals and, and the realities become inflated. But when we see that, you know what, the church is global, the church is eternal, the church is huge, and there is many, many, many expressions of church, then when things don't go our way or when our preferences aren't met, 
those issues are actually minimized because we have a bigger view of the church. And so even though, you know, online church right now isn't our ideal and it's not something we would uh, want to do as a permanent thing in this particular format, um, if we have a bigger picture of who God is, who his church is, who we are as the church, then... Um, then the issues we have with, for example, the online church format become minimized because we see the church as bigger. And I saw on, on um, Instagram this week, uh, a pastor friend of mine posted this comment um, and he talked about, um, now what was it? It was, um, are we, oh, I've got the word, critical, critical. And he said, uh, are we critical to the work of God on this planet, or are we critical of the work of God on this planet? And that absolutely spoke volumes to me. That that tiny little wordplay, are we critical to God's plan and God's work, or are we critical of, is, is such um, an incredible thought to, to realign ourselves. Because I think if we have a big picture of God, big picture of the church, big picture of discipleship, big picture of the mission that God has for humanity, then we see ourselves as critical to that. But if we have a small view of, of church and a small view of things and, and therefore problems and issues we have get enlarged because of our the way we see things, then we actually become critical of the work of God on the planet, the work of God in our local community. And so I think that understanding and that um that paradigm is really important for us to, to get that shift. And so perspective really is key. And so Paul here at the end of chapter 7 says this. Uh, I'll read it again. Verse 25. Thanks be to God. Even though we wrestle with the flesh, even though we wrestle with the sinful nature, even though we wrestle to do the right thing, and it's really hard to keep this living sacrifice that, that Romans 12 would say that we are, it's really hard to keep it on the altar. He, he concludes with saying this. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus. That even though we have turmoil internally and Paul gets it, he struggled with it, we can, he, he can resolve it all by saying, Thanks be to God who despite all of this trouble, who despite all of this turmoil, who despite my small thinking, my limited understanding of things, he delivers me through Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that I have, and that's the hope that you have, and that's the hope that the church globally has, that even though we face troublesome times, we can be thankful to God who will deliver us, who has deliver us, delivered us, and will continue to deliver us through Jesus. And so in, in, a, in a world that is void of hope, that is the solid rock of hope that we can um, really uh, put our faith in that Jesus will deliver us. Paul had that hope. We have that same hope today. And so my prayer is that we would continue to be transformed by renewing our mind to who we are in Christ, whose we are as his creation, and that the life that we can live in the flesh, even though we wrestle, we can, we can resolve that by giving thanks to God being slaves to righteousness, bearing fruit for his glory so that others around us can taste and see that the Lord is good and we therefore become effective witnesses and disciples and followers of Jesus as the New Testament would describe us and have us be. So let me pray as we finish this message today. 
Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this book of Romans. Lord, it is so incredibly helpful for us to get um, an understanding of this book and for what it means for us as your disciples, as your followers, Lord, that we would not live by the the changing um, sands of time in this world, but we live by the eternal truth of your word because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, we thank you for that, that, that we are not... Um, yeah, no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. And Lord, help us. God, would you help me? Would you help all of us here today to live as slaves of righteousness that, that the, would result in uh, holiness and that the fruit of the Spirit would uh, grow more and more in our life? Lord, bless us this week. In Jesus' name we pray.